so for the last, uh, I don't know, maybe week and a half ago, uh, week and a half now, I've been, I've been one of those people with that virus that's been going around and, um, yeah, with the, uh, the cold and, and all that, uh, a little bit of fever, sore throat, um, all that yuckiness. And, um, you know, it's been, it's always interesting from a Dharma perspective to get sick and just to follow what's going on in the body and in the mind. It's one thing to be in this practice when you're feeling good, and it's a different when um, you're not feeling well. And um, so I like to, to hold it as best I can in, in that light. Um, but, you know, I'm human. <laughs> and so I'll tell you... <laughs> I was at um I was having dinner with my with my family um my husband and and 3-year-old and I had made um spaghetti with red sauce and um wasn't feeling that great so it wasn't like some big production of making dinner spaghetti and red sauce that's the go-to and I just like let's get it together and feed <laughs> So we're, we're eating and, and Leo, my son, um, takes a few bites and I think I said something like, Leo, or, and he stopped, he stopped eating and was kind of playing with his food and not really into it. And I said, Oh, Leo, do you not, do you not like it? Are you all done? And he picked up the plate and he said, All done! And threw it on the floor. <laughs> Red sauce everywhere, noodles everywhere. So, <laughs> you know, in my better moments, I would have responded in some really wise motherly way, like, um, you know, oh, that's, you know, that's not okay, um, or let's try that again, or, you know, something like that. Um, but instead, you know, and I, I was feeling, you know, really tired and just kind of worn out um, and, and cranky. I was already cranky. I was already kind of annoyed by both members of my family. <laughs> I just like every, you know, that mood that you get into where it doesn't matter who's there and what they're doing, it's not right. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. Um, so that's where I was at. And... Um, so my response was, I, I, I just went, oh, and I kind of banged my hands on the table. It was very dramatic. And, um, said something like, and then, and, and as this is happening, there's anger, but I was too tired for anger. So it just turned into tears, <laughs> which was what made it even more ridiculous. And banged on the table, said, he just doesn't appreciate anything that I do. And, you know, he's three. <laughs> and suddenly, um, you know, this throwing of the noodles on the floor became, it became so personal. It was really about me and how I had made this, this meal, you know, that I took, I don't know how long, 10 minutes to, <laughs> to put together. And, um, and he didn't like it, and so that had something to do with me. And, um, and somehow, 
yeah, translated into appreciation of, of, of me and all that I do for him. And so I turned to my husband looking for kind of that emotional uh, empathy and support. And um, he just looked really confused <laughs> and wisely didn't say anything, <laughs> but just kind of sat there and looked at me um, with this with this look of more of concern. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I just kind of, it just flipped the switch of how, oh, and I just made this all about me. And it was so ri- ridiculous in that, you know, at that point. Then it was ridiculous. And, I, you know, I looked at him, he looked at me, and we both just started laughing because it was just, like, had nothing to do with me. It had to do with a three-year-old being three and not wanting to eat noodles. And so, yeah, that's what they do sometimes. But it's so incredible what the mind will do uh, in an instant, just that reaction to experience and how quickly we get you know, entangled in the story of self about you know, this, this story of, of me, the story of I, and what that means. How whatever is going on, whether it has anything directly or indirectly to do with us, how quickly we do make it about us, and who we are, and, and um, you know, what, what should be happening and what shouldn't be happening. And so... Um, you know, as a Dharma teacher, it's always really humbling to have these moments. It doesn't really have anything to do with being a Dharma teacher, though, just being as a practitioner, to have these moments where, you know, your guard is really down and your uh, your capacity is low. And we all have this these moments when our capacity is just really low. And, um, and when that's true and our mindfulness is low, our wisdom is kind of not holding its ground, how easily uh, the moods or the attitudes in our mind can paint a certain picture of how things are going and how quickly we identify with those attitudes or moods. And then, of course, whatever follows from that isn't coming from wisdom. It's coming from something else. So... um, Although, you know, it's kind of a funny story now, we've all had things that we've um, done similar to this that, you know, it can be really hurtful. It can be um, confusing. We can cause more confusion in our life. We can get stuck in kind of this cycle of, of, of selfing um, that just um, doesn't get us anywhere. And we can't necessarily figure out why. Um, even in our practice, so bringing it back to the mindfulness practice, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks, uh, we can see this really clearly in just how we relate to our practice. You know, so there can be this misunderstanding that uh, we're doing our mindfulness practice right when our mind is still and Everything we're experiencing is pleasant, and uh, we feel really good. Um, that equals I'm doing this correctly. 
And this is just a misunderstanding. You know, and it's a misunderstanding that is tied into this idea of who we think we should be in a particular moment. It's tied into this idea of perfection, the perfected self, which is um, not this, this idea of the perfected self, um, is never who you are in that moment. You know, it's some idealized version of you that maybe you meet that expectation now and then. Uh, but even when you meet it, maybe you're tacking on some things that, you know, you could have done better. You know, it's always a disappointment. Um, in terms of the practice, it's never quite right. Or it's never quite right long enough, ongoing enough. You know, you might have a really great sit one evening and then come back the next week and it's, you know, just chaos in there. What does that mean about me as a practitioner? Right? It doesn't necessarily mean anything um, except for the way that we so quickly attach to uh, the outcome as something to do with who we are ultimately. So mindfulness, uh, it really excludes nothing. You know, when we're practicing mindfulness, we're paying attention to our human experience in all of its different forms, in all the different ways that it's showing up within us. You know, and so we, we explored this two weeks ago in the body and how we can know our, our humanness within the body, all the different sensations, the different um, elemental forms of the body, uh, the different functions and organs and um, parts of the body. Um, knowing the body as something impermanent and constantly changing. Uh, we explored this then uh, uh, last week in, in the form of the second foundation, which is um, um, the feeling tone or Vedana. The Vedana of the experience, which is um, how we process all those senses that are coming in. Uh, so the sights, the sounds, taste, smell, body sensation. And then in, in Buddhism, we also include the mind. And just all the, the thought and the um, uh, cognitive um, activity that are, that's happening. Emotions can also fit in here. And the way that we understand or are, are processing all of these senses comes out in this layer of, of understanding of it being either pleasant or unpleasant or somewhere in between in that neutral zone. So we talked about that last week. In mindfulness, there's just so many aspects of our present moment experience that we can tune into and, and get to know. And whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or, or totally neutral, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. We pay attention to it. We get to know it. Uh, we get to understand it for what it really is not some idea of what it should be or shouldn't be. We are 
coming face to face. We are coming in contact with real reality of what's going on right now. What's going on here? What's happening right now? So mindfulness excludes nothing. So if you're sitting there and your mind is going all over the place, uh, you are experiencing some of the hindrances, like you're experiencing a bunch of aversion or um, some kind of wanting uh, in the in the meditation. Uh, you pay attention to it. You don't have to exclude it. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that you're some bad practitioner or that somehow your practice is slipping. We don't have that kind of control over our moment-to-moment experience. We don't get to decide what mental state we're going to have next, um, or what the Vedana is going to be, or what our body is going to do. We don't have that kind of control. That in itself is part of the illusion of self, this idealized um, idea of who we should be, of how it should be going this idea that we could possibly control it. And if we can't, then what's wrong with us? So this next foundation um, of mindfulness is of the mind, the the attitudes, really, in the mind. Um, Utejaniya, who is a uh, teacher in in Burma, um, who's one of the, the great, current masters, um, kind of the teacher's teacher. Um, he calls them attitudes. I really, I really appreciate that frame of, of bringing mindfulness to the mind. So I could sometimes feel um, like too many things. The way he frames it is that we're really looking at the attitude. What is the, this layer um, that we're perceiving um, everything through. Not necessarily then the thoughts that come out of it uh, or the emotions that come out of it or even body sensation. That's another layer. It's pointing more towards um, uh, you know, whether or not we're seeing things through a clear mind. Uh, a mind that's open, that's feeling spacious, that's calm. Even if things are unpleasant, you know, even if the moment isn't going the way you thought it would, if you're experiencing some kind of major change, um, if you're experiencing body discomfort, is the what's going on in the mind? How is the mind responding to that? How is it relating to that? Um, so it could be in one of these kind of more uh, wise uh, um, or you could say supportive mind states to see, you know, oh, this is just what's happening right now. Or it might be more reactionary. It might be that the the lens that you're seeing through is um, a lens that is like one of the, the hindrances. So the hindrances, these are a classical collection of mind states that we're all familiar with. Sometimes we're experiencing just one Sometimes we can experience all five at once and have a total hindrance attack. And so these are um, um, 
the mind state of uh, aversion, when you've got that lens of which was uh, partly what was going on with me on spaghetti night, that um, you know ugh, nothing was quite right, not liking the situation, not liking what's going on, um, pushing away of experience. Aversion has this this feeling of just ugh, I don't. I don't want this, or this shouldn't be happening. Get me out of here. I just, I don't want to even be here for this or deal with this. That's aversion. When we're looking through that kind of lens, it doesn't really matter who enters it or what enters, you know, what situation enters. The way we relate to that situation is going to be influenced by that particular lens, that particular attitude in the mind. It doesn't mean that, for an example, uh, that my um, three-year-old was anything other than he usually is <laughs> at dinner time that evening. But the way I was perceiving it was, you know, that he's taking like a having like a personal vendetta against me <laughs> or something. But it's just in my mind, you know. But in a mind that is seen through that kind of lens, it's really tricky because we believe it. It seems real. It seems like truth. So if we aren't careful and don't know that that's the lens we're looking through, that that's the attitude in the mind, we're calling something truth that isn't actually. And that's very painful. The result of that is very painful. So aversion is just one. <laughs> we have many. <laughs> so another one is um, a desire, a wanting. A wanting in the mind. It's kind of the, um, uh, the partner to aversion. You know, you're not wanting something, and so you're wanting, there's a wanting for something else, something other than uh, is here in the moment. It can also show up as desire, like there's something really amazing happening right now. Something feels really good, and you don't want it to end. You don't want it to change. You want it, uh, extend it for as long as possible, forever. Or, or you're already planning on how you're going to get more. Of whatever that thing is, because you you want more of that in your life. So even though you might be experiencing the wonderful thing that's happening, you're missing it because you're already leaning into this idea of a future of more of that, and you're missing the present moments of just being with whatever it is that's there. Or you're so caught up in the fear of losing it that you can't enjoy whatever it is fully in that moment. But again, this is one of these lenses that we can just be totally ignorant to. We just don't even necessarily see that that's what's going on. It can be a real habit in our mind. Maybe it's something that um, we just automatically go into a certain mode and um, we don't choose it. And the scary thing is we might not even know that we're in it until we start to bring more and more mindfulness to it, more more 
understanding and um, take a deeper look at what's really going on here. So now another one uh, is uh, a restlessness. Sometimes it's restlessness and worry. So this is that kind of overactive mind. Sometimes it shows up as the mind that thinks it's got to figure it all out. Uh, if you find yourself in those moments where um, you have to make some decision and um, uh, you just get kind of obsessively worried about it, trying to see it from all the different angles, but not in a healthy way, not in like, let me sit back and really see what are all my options. More of this kind of um, tight, uh, got to get it just so right. Um, Sometimes we find ourselves in this restlessness, uh, trying to figure it out mind, um, because we can't see truly what is going to happen. And that is so unsettling to us, to not know, to be in the not knowing. And the mind doesn't know how to just rest. And so it gets busy. It gets restless. Sometimes restless mind is just um, restless because uh, it's worried about, it could be worried about so many different things being found out if we've done something, you know, that we shouldn't have done or that's caused some kind of harm, you know. Never being uh, fearful of being caught in a lie, you know, and what that does in the mind gets restless, you know, and we're... um, um, acting in ways where we're causing a lot of harm, that that has an effect on our psyche. Our our mind doesn't want to rest. There's there's nowhere to rest. We're having to be on alert um, because of all the things that we've said or done. So sometimes that can be it. Sometimes it's just an energy in the mind. You know, it's just really busy. Um, it's been overactive. You know overstimulated in some way. So it's just very, very restless. But we can get annoyed with it. We can get contracted around it and fall into more aversion around having a restless mind instead of just seeing what it is and being kind and patient towards it. We have this expectation that it should be something else. And then again, this is really painful. So another attitude in the mind um, traditionally is the sloth and torpor. Uh, um, I like the word apathy here, or apathy and laziness. Um, it's just this mind that just can't quite get the the energy or the uh, the interest into what's really going on right now. Um, it's not a happy mind. It's a mind that in that moment is kind of given up. It's just like nothing's good enough. Um, it's a, it's actually a pretty painful state to be in, uh, this apathy. Um, it's hard to stimulate. It's hard to find joy. It's hard to find happiness in a mind that's stuck or in looking through this particular lens. Um, 
And again, we might not even know that's what's going on. It becomes everybody else's fault sometimes. You know, it becomes the world around us that's the problem with any of these these hindrances, these mind states. Maybe we're not willing or have the energy because of the mind state to turn our attention back towards us and see what's really going on here. What can I do to really help my mind in this state? And then last, uh, the last traditional hindrance is doubt. Having doubt in, in yourself, your capacity, your ability, having doubt in your mind, you know, doubts about your own mind, doubts in the practice, in your ability to practice. It's kind of where I think sometimes it's the easiest place once we see it for what it is. Oh, this is just doubt. Sometimes I think this is where we can see this uh, selfing happening the easiest. But it's hard to catch. But once we do, we can start to see you know, how this um, doubt is completely tied into this idea, the story of self. Whether the story is, you know, not good enough, poor me, you know, that little self, um, or even um, its opposite, this big idea of who we are, oh, we're so wonderful, and then someone's just kind of chipped away at that. Someone's just said the right thing, or you didn't accomplish what you thought you would, and it's devastating because of the way that you imagine yourself. Suddenly you're not fitting that story of self, and it's devastating. We fall into doubt. So all of these lenses, um, whether whether they're unsupportive or they're one of the the, the states that are supportive um, uh, to to us being able to see things for what they really are, we want to know all of them. We want to know with our mindfulness. Uh, closely, intimately, how each one of these show up. You know, I know these states in my mind. I don't necessarily know how they show up for you. Each of us has to take a good look and see for ourselves. How do I recognize doubt when it's there? What does it do in my mind? What are the habits that form around this particular mind state? How can I catch it quickly? What's my tell in all of these different states? What are the states that aren't named but just end up showing up and tripping us up? You know, so it might not be classical, but like a state of fear is a great example. When fear is the lens that we're looking through, how do we relate to that? Can we be with it as just fear? Fear is being known. Not just the emotion of fear, but the actual lens of fear when suddenly everything we're we're experiencing is going through, it's passing through that lens of fear. How do we relate to that 
as a mental attitude to any of these, even uh, a mind that's clearing and collected and stable. How are we um, uh, relating to that? Are we solidifying our sense of who we are around that? Well, this is who I am now. I've just broken through, you know. I can't tell you how many times in, in my practice early on where I'd find myself in these states and think, oh my God, this is it. <laughs> and then it would be just so devastating <laughs> when, you know, 20 minutes later as I'm walking down the meditation hall uh, to, you know, the cafeteria or whatever it is on, on the retreat and um, whoop, in comes you know, aversion and anger and hatred. And it's like, where did that come from? You know. And just how quickly we solidify the sense of who we are around all these different things. And again, they just come, they're just visitors. They come, uh, they're there because of of conditioning, of just the conditions in the moment are just right for that particular mind state in you. Those conditions have to do with what's happening in the present moment. They have to do with what happened to you in the past. But they're just visitors, nonetheless, in this moment. Every time we solidify around any of this and say, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am, the tightness of that... uh, It's so limiting to who we actually are. When we begin to free the hold that we have, this habitual hold that we keep applying to our experiences and creating the story of self, as we release that, we actually begin to become more and more our authentic selves, not this idea of who we should be, not a persona, but something else. We become more fluid. We are who we are in that moment, but also not attached to who we are in that moment because we know deeply that we are a mind and body process that's just constantly changing. The mind doesn't like this idea. It likes to label. It likes the idea of control. It likes the idea of solidity and permanence. It's why this is a practice. It's why it's not easy. (laughs) It's why we keep having to come back and kind of chipping away at this idea of the story of self. Or if you like, uh, continue to untangle all these threads that we've put together that somehow... Um, we've called me, I.
so briefly, ways to practice with this is, um, is not that hard, actually. I bring this in often in meditations. I didn't tonight because I was, um, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to bring it in in the guidance. Um, but I'll do it right now. And um, it's really simple. You can just, how you are right now, close your eyes. You might take a couple deeper breaths. Feel your body here. And then bring attention to the attitude in the mind. Can you tell what the lens is? Some of you, it might be really clear, really obvious. And others, it's like, ah, I'm not really sure. If you're not really sure, then notice, does the mind feel tight? Or does it feel spacious and open? Is there a sense of tightness, confusion, aversion, kind of a feeling in the mind? Or is there, along with that open, spacious mind, a feeling of calm and, and contentment, maybe even happiness, maybe even joy? Could be the feeling of equanimity. The mind is feeling tight, but also unclear, which can sometimes be. Uh, a sign of the hindrances. You can go through the list and just see what seems true. Aversion, desire, restlessness, worry, apathy, laziness, doubt. Maybe there's some fear in there. Confusion. Maybe it's a lot of those all in one. It's not uncommon. And so whatever it is, you don't have to necessarily go into fix-it mode, but rather get curious about it. The way to begin to allow the mind to release that hold, that that friction or that tightness that it might have, uh, is to actually get a little closer to it, get curious about it, see what what it's all about. How is it showing up as experience is coming through? Like you're listening to my voice right now. How is how are you relating to it? Can you see? that lens just by seeing 
how you're relating to whatever it is that's coming through it. Does that make sense? Sometimes the lens itself is hidden until you experience something and then your reaction to it or how you relate to it unveils, oh, that's what the lens is. No, it all of its all of its parts, all of its all of the different ways that it affects you, the different thoughts that it creates, the idea of who you are through that lens. Okay, you can open your eyes. And even just opening the eyes, sometimes with more input, that lens might uh, change, or it might become more clear, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it gets more confusing because it gets more complex. Either way, this is a way to practice with uh, bringing mindfulness to the mind. And an important aspect of it is to notice how it's entangled in the sense of self, as well as how you're relating to it in terms of permanency or impermanence. Can you see, can you track how it changes? That whatever that mind state is, uh, it will change. It might change really quickly. Um, it might take days, but it does change. And so how we're relating to it and how we are um, uh, solidifying around it uh, changes when we notice the, the impermanent state of that uh, part of ourselves, too. So all of this is, is food for thought. This is all, all um, something to practice with and get to know for yourself. Um, and I'm wondering if there's any questions with what I've said so far, or any, any comments that you have about what I've said so far. Yeah, do you mind? Yeah. I, I thought that Classical hindrances were five of them, if, if I'm not right. Uh-huh. Is that right? But there's another one that I've heard is called ill will. Uh-huh. So, um. That makes it six, though. <laughs> yeah. So ill will, um, sometimes ill will, what is it? Ill will, greed, and delusion are, uh, the poisons of the mind. Um, and they're not necessarily um, these classical hindrances, uh, but they are um, these defilements. It would be traditionally how it's said, defilements in the mind, these poisons in the mind. The the poisons poisons of the mind, ill will, um, greed. uh, Sorry, ill will, greed, and um, delusion. And um, the way that the Buddha taught 
was it depended on who he was addressing. Um, it wasn't that the the concepts and the truths of what he was teaching were different. The underlying teachings were all the same, but the way he explained the truths depended on who he was talking to and what the situation was. Um, but essentially, um, these are uh, states in the mind that um, you're wanting to remove, uh, ultimately, through this practice of mindfulness, of, of understanding what they are. These are habits in the mind that are so deeply rooted, and so we're, we're trying to unroot them, um, to throw in another metaphor. <laughs> mm. um, and so the hindrances are the same way. And all of them are are based in ignorance. And it's the ignorance of how things really are, the ignorance of dharma. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever whatever the, the that um, unhelpful mind state is, it all gets traced back to ignorance. Mm-hmm. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. okay. My other, other understanding of that is ignorance is the basis of dependent origination also. Yes. Right? Yeah, so, you got it. <laughs> whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's another talk. <laughs> but it's it's completely connected. Completely connected. Yeah, that's, that's right. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.